You're listening to episode eight of Elevate Talks. This week, we've brought two incredible women to discuss their experiences in creating wildly successful media. The Cinderella of tech, Sophia Amoruso, and co-head of Awesomeness TV, Rebecca Glashow. Up first, Sophia Amoruso. Sophia's a successful entrepreneur in the tech space and founded and built the company Nasty Gal, a vintage clothing brand she started at the age of 22. She's since gone on to launch Girl Boss Media and also wrote her best-selling autobiography, Girl Boss, which was adapted into a Netflix series in 2017. She's interviewed by eTalk host, Chloe Wilde. Well, thank you so much for being here. I know you literally got here from LA last, last night. night. Yes. So why was it important for you to be here in Toronto with us? Well, I've been to Toronto, I don't know, a couple times, and I love it. I've always loved it. Everybody is so sweet here. And also, I heard Michelle Obama's here. And so yeah, I, I said, heard that too. if they're going to invite me to a conference that Michelle Obama's speaking at, then, you know, I'm, I'm good. Right? Yeah. And guys, we're also here for Sophia, right? Um, I like that you say that you've heard that Canadians are nice. I like to think that that stereotype is very accurate. Yeah. That we are polite. Yeah. Um, and it's just called bacon here. It's not called Canadian bacon. Yeah, it's just bacon. I learned that this morning. <laughs> yeah, you just ask for bacon, yeah. they give you delicious yeah. meat on a plate. Yeah. <laughs> um, Girl Boss is such an incredible entity. There's so many layers to it. Can you rewind for us and kind of tell us a story about how Girl Boss was born and why you felt yeah. it was needed in society? Yeah. So I was 22 when I started my first company. It's been a full-on slog of 13 years of entrepreneurship for me. It's the only thing I know. And I'm kind of an accidental entrepreneur. You know, I started an eBay store, and I had no network, and I didn't finish college. And it was, um, you know, an experience that I think is unique because I just kind of came out of the woodwork and bootstrapped a company to $30 million, and investors came in and were like, what? Who does this? Yeah. You know? um, and from there, you know, just, you know, the company exploded, um, hired a lot of people, hired executives, but didn't have people on the outside advising me. Um, people who weren't employed by me or someone who didn't have a stake in the business. And I realized how important community was and how, I guess, I didn't see myself in the business book section. I went to the business book section and I saw, you know, Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In came out a year before Girl Boss. And there were very few millennial women, no one I really related to. And you know, my story, I think, resonated with women, so many women out there who are using Shopify, which is Canadian. Yes. OK. <laughs> but all of these amazing digital tools that yeah. we have. You know, I had eBay and what, MySpace. And now we have you know, so many ways to start businesses online. And we don't have to be the traditional kind of like MBA entrepreneur to do that. So I wrote Girl Boss. Um, five years ago in 2014, um, and it told my story. It told the story of, of building my first company, Nasty Gal, the explosion, all the things I learned. And you know, it, it spent 18 weeks in the New York Times bestseller list and sold half a million copies. I never ever anticipated that. And I just want to press pause for a second. Can we please give her a round of applause oh. for that? That's amazing. I've read the book. I'm sure I'm not alone. It's so powerful, and it's also really raw and honest, Thanks. which you don't often find in books like that. I mean, I was really naive when I wrote it, <laughs> and so it's easy to be inspiring when you're like, yeah, everything's like, I'm winning. Check out, like, all of these, you know, it's like now I'm like, 
wow, maybe I really need to reread my book and take my own advice. My mom has told me that to do that a bunch of times. Um, but I wrote the book, I took it to a dozen cities, and I watched these girls line up to get their book signed. And while they were in line to get their book signed, they were exchanging business cards. And these aren't necessarily executives whose companies have given them business cards. They're like self-identifying, ambitious women who had no other place than a Barnes & Noble, which here is called Chapters. You know, she knows her Canadian stuff. Doing my research since <laughs> last night. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, watching them network. And it seemed like there was no other place for them to, for the non-executive woman to find one another, to support one another, to network. And so that was kind of, that was the way Girl Boss was born. I wasn't able to start the company, you know, until three years later, later until, you know, early 2017. Um, but the community grew itself. The hashtag's been used 17 million times on Instagram. Wow. Um, and when I started the company, it was just a matter of like catching and galvanizing the community that, you know, had built itself in many ways before, you know, I even showed up to catch it. Which I think it was an area that was needed. It needed that attention. I mean, if the hashtag's any indication, people want to use it. They want to be proud of being girl bosses. They want to be girl bosses themselves. Yeah. And so you saw that opportunity. You were signing books. You saw these women needing to network, wanting to network. And I know you say, you know, late 2017 or early 2017, but it's 2019 and you have built Girl Boss into this amazing entity that is so multifaceted. I mean, from the podcast to the rallies to the new venture that you're going on with Girl Boss, there's all these different arms, and it feels like every arm points to one thing, and that's building a community and building a network. Yeah. So it wasn't until 2015 that I started the podcast, which still feels really early for podcasts, and that was, you know, I had a couple hours a week to interview. You know, while I was still doing Nasty Gal, Girl Boss wasn't my focus, but I thought if my story is inspiring, the story of so many other women will be just as inspiring. Um, and I had this incredible kind of alumni of women that I had met over, you know, the decade of my having built a business that I was so, so lucky to know and being able to heart, heart Harness? Harness. I was going to say harvest, which is the same <laughs> You can thing. harvest those relationships. It really is the same thing. Um, you know, on behalf of a girl who may not be able to attend a $10,000 women's conference for, you know, C-level executives is a really powerful thing. Um, and then we built the Girl Boss Rally. Um, so it wasn't until early 2017 that I said, okay, how can I replicate the experience that I saw in those bookstores three years prior? Yeah. How can I bring these women together with the same kind of access that I've given them on the girl, you know, on uh, the podcast, um, and really give them a place not just to find one another, uh, but to get tools and resources. You know, at the Girl Boss Rally, inspiration is table stakes. You know, leaving inspired is great, but if you don't have the tools you need or the relationships you need and you're not leaving armed with something that you can take home, you know, it ex inspiration can expire very quickly. You know, knowledge doesn't. Um, and so that's really, really important to us. So the last Girl Boss Rally, we just held our fifth at UCLA. We had 1,600 women. Wow. Um, and 120 speakers, and women from 30 countries fly in for it. So it's Girl Boss is very international. Um, I'm gonna put the audience on the spot. Were there any Canadians? And if you were there, I wanna hear you scream. Yes, cool. we had some Canadian presence okay. at that. I love that. One of them's your friend that you told me about. Oh yeah, cool. Daphne, you're in. Thanks for coming. <laughs> um, She's the biggest fan of the cool. Girl Boss rally. Um, 
So it's a really powerful experience. Um, we have a lot of women-owned businesses. We have a shopping bazaar. We had a job fair at the last one. I really, you know, we want to help women advance, whether they're attending the rally or participating in the rally. Um, and then we built this digital community, which is what we launched, I don't know, eight or 10 weeks ago. So we built, it's a social network. Um, it's not an app yet. It's a girlboss.com. It's a girlboss.com used to be more of a content site, and now it's a place where women can create their own content and connect with one another and have a beautiful profile that showcases not just what they do, but who they are, because a lot of us don't fit into the traditional archetype of like what a resume kind of reduces us to. Yeah, it's a really beautiful. Black and white piece of paper with some text. I'm like unemployable, and like my <laughs> resume says, I don't, I don't even know what, I had, yeah. I've had two jobs, and so many of us are have side hustles or are good at other things, and you know, who we are and what we do in our personal life is becoming something that employers are embracing. And if we are an entrepreneur or a small business owner, you know, I guess we can be on a creative network like Behance or we can be on LinkedIn and none of those really serve us completely. So it's a place where a very multifaceted woman who has ambitions beyond possibly her traditional career or has a traditional career can show up and represent herself and connect with other entrepreneurs in ways that replicates the experience at the rally, but can happen 24 hours a day, 365 days a And year. anywhere in the world. Anywhere, well, eventually. 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 There's a few Canadians that snuck onto the platform. If you have a US phone number, you can get onto <laughs> it right now, but we're, we will be launching internationally. Amazing, and I, I feel like, again, it all ties back to community for the masses which is you know, why we're here today. Why is it so important, not only in business, but also in life, to have a supportive community around you? I mean, it's, it's everything. You know, it's, they say something like, if you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. Um, and it's very, very true. I would never have accomplished what I've accomplished without an incredible team behind me, incredible today, advisors, women who caught me when the shit hit the fan. <laughs> Right, people who st stuck around, who supported me when I thought, you know, it was over, and I was like damaged goods, and like would never recover from, you know, what was a really difficult time at Nasty Gal. Um, so my experience has been that it's everything, and I mean, literally this morning, getting hair and makeup was sitting in my chair, just like asking advice over text yeah. message all morning to like 8:30 in the morning, which I'm sure is really annoying, but you know, having the kind of humility you need to say, hey, there's a lot of things I don't know. Yeah. Being able to augment your experience with the experience of other people who have done it before, who are experts, to be able to have the privilege of building that, right? It takes time. Um, if we can accelerate that with the Girlboss platform, that's something that I think is really unique and really powerful because otherwise, you know, it's taken me 14 years to build the kind of network that I have. And with Girlboss, you know, now you're sharing that with everybody. When someone goes to a rally, how do you want them to feel when they walk away? Because it feels like a truly unique experience where it's yeah. not just one thing, it's many things. I want them to feel like anything is possible. I want them to feel less alone. I want them to have heard the stories of women who have experienced hardship because we all have and we don't talk about it enough. Um, I want people to feel armed with the resources that they need to go change their life, and I want them to leave with amazing relationships. I want them to find a co-founder. I want them to find a collaborator. I want them to find a friend. Um, and 
you know, especially for the woman who may be in a more remote area to come to the rally and meet women who are also entrepreneurs when in her town she may very well be one of the only women she knows who's an entrepreneur. You know, we're, we're very spoiled on the coasts in, in the U.S. and yeah. in larger cities, but for the rest of us who are in smaller markets, you know, there's, there's even less. Which is why I think digital platforms that connect people will be so powerful. Now, you mentioned Nasty Gal. Um, of course, you know, amazing international fashion cult that you built kind of didn't go the way anyone had planned, but you know, here you are with Girlboss. What did you learn from your time at Nasty Gal that's really top of mind when you go into Girlboss every day? Um, I think about leadership differently. I think about building culture intentionally. It's something that for even a very small business, you know, we have 26 people, uh, I think about a lot. And with Nasty Gal, culture grew on accident. I had never worked in an office before. The only office I've ever worked in, my name yeah. has been on the lease of, um, which in, it's taken me a long time to understand you know, what leadership looks like and just day-to-day -day management even looks like. Um, so making it clear what it is that, what are our priorities, how we work together, how process works, the level of excellence that I want to drive across the organization that everybody holds themselves to, um, giving people objective tools they need so they can go run with them rather than, Sophia would have said this, or you know, it shouldn't be subjective. It's, this is what Girlboss is doing, this is how we do it, and then you can deputize people and they can go run. Um, it's challenging as an entrepreneur not to think that all of my ideas are the best ideas, um, and battling that every day yeah. is a challenge, and I'm often wrong. My gut used to somehow be like gold, and I don't really trust it anymore. Um, I think anxiety will do that. I'm always trying to dif dif differentiate between my anxiety and my intuition, and I think it's mostly anxiety, so I try not to act on those feelings because it may not work this time. And to hold executives accountable. So. You know, at, at, at Nasty Gal, I had never managed C-level executives, mm -hmm. and I hired people who were experts, who you know had careers for longer than I had been alive at that point, um, who had worked in large companies and built companies and been in startups and managed a lot of people who were domain experts, and said, "Hey, go go diagnose what my company needs and like run and build it, and just somehow all work together seamlessly, rather than necessarily laying out." you know, this is, this is what the next month looks like, the next few months look like, it, it exploded. And so strategy was something we kind of grandfathered in after yeah. we were a pretty big company. And holding executives accountable to executing on that was something I could have done a much better job of. So I guess, in a nutshell, I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it sounds like the biggest takeaway I get from that is having a solid team having people that can be thinkers and doers on their own, but also understand the brand ethos of Girlboss, and then they can support you in your vision and also call you out when maybe it's not the right move, which is a very honest thing to do and a very difficult place to be sometimes. I hope that people do that. There's very rare instances where I pull like rank and say, you know, I really yeah. believe that we should go in this other direction. One of those things was that we were gonna launch the community as like a fully paid closed community because we wanted it to be super duper high quality, which it is. Uh, and I had a conversation with my investors and they said, hey, this is, no one's ever done that. Like, don't make this harder on yourself than it is. Freemium exists for a reason. And at some point I think we'll have a premium subscription at some yeah. point um, with a lot more resources and access. And um, 
And this was not long before we launched, and I, it seemed really crazy to even consider changing you know, the strategy for launching the product. But you know, to, to give the product to anybody who, regardless of their income level, um, could access it is, you know, f felt like the right thing to do. And so pivoting, I mean, a month before we launched, like pulling out your like, poor anxiety, <laughs> pulling out a paywall, you know, yeah. our poor engineers. But you know, it was actually someone from Canada who wrote me once, and this is the kind of person that I want Girl Boss to serve. She wrote me and said, "Hey, you know, I lost my job and I couldn't afford your book, so I checked it out from the library, and I read it, and I got a job." and then I bought your book. Like, that's the girl I want to make sure that we're also including because she's the girl who needs our platform wow. the most. Oh, you're giving me goosebumps. It's pretty you're giving amazing. me goosebumps, I love that. So, you've been through a lot. A lot of ups, a lot of downs, and I think you're on a serious up right now, but for those who may be going through a difficult time business-wise and kind of need a little piece of advice to keep them going when life gets tough, this, you know, what yeah. kept you driven? What kept you going? Um, well, I can't, couldn't quit and I couldn't be fired. <laughs> so there's that. Once you have investors, <laughs> you're just like stuck. Um, <laughs> I think I'm a little bit of a masochist. I think I have a chip on my shoulder. I think I feel like I snuck in the back door and totally don't belong in business at all and still feel, you know, I think we all have imposter syndrome to a certain extent. But I've learned that everything's hard. Like, life is hard business is hard and people don't talk about it enough and we're all living in our own kind of like night self-created nightmare that like we you know lash ourselves over things every day that like nobody else is paying attention to um, and you know I constantly think that the last thing I said was like totally weird and people are just like duh, 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 going on their day they like aren't paying as much attention as you think they are um, but I'd say there's nowhere to go but to keep going, yeah. right? There's no choice. Um, so for me, you know, I got up quickly. I've been recovering from my failures as I've been building, which I think is challenging. You know, taking time off might have been nice, but Girl Boss was such a just, you know, clear opportunity, important um, thing to build, was just, you know, waiting for me to catch it after, you know, four months after I left Nasty Gal, which was a lot. Um, and people say that's resilient, uh, but it, nobody knows how hard that is mm -hmm. and like possibly how little resilience I actually feel. Um, so getting up doesn't necessarily mean that you are resilient, but I'd say you just have to keep getting up and getting up and getting up. Just keep swimming. There's nothing else swimming. to, there's really nothing else to do. Yeah. It's the only way you can learn. You can take all of your past learnings into what you do next Hopefully, try not to make those mistakes again, but you probably will make some some of them. And also, it's okay if you do, right? Just be patient with yourself. It's be kind okay. to yourself. Try to be a good person in life. I yeah. feel like we just got to bring it back to that sometimes. Just like be decent. Try to be nice to yourself. Take care of yourself. And come to things like this. Yeah. Right? These are good for you. Invest in your like education. Yep. bettering yourself. Today we're celebrating moonshots. We're celebrating the doers and the thinkers, you know, the people that go out there and go for what they want, dream big, and definitely don't shy away from working hard. What kind of impact do you think community has in that kind of thought process and going big? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to think of someone achieving a moonshot alone. <laughs> like, I can't even imagine what that would look like. Yeah. So, 
I think community is just like a given if you are going to go after something really big and being able to have people find, you know, the holes in your thinking. And, you know, for me, I mean, my moonshot is just like having a personal life and like having stability, which is the first time in my life at 35 that I actually crave it. Um, and... Yeah, so it's, I love that your moonshot is stability and happiness. It seems after like you know the life that I've had, it, it's it's like outlandish. And how dare you strive for happiness I and know, stability, I, Sophia? I know. It's not. It's, for some <laughs> reason, it's not easy. I know. I well, I don't. I think it's difficult for many people. But I think to be able to say that out loud and be like, I'm going to strive for stability and happiness. I think that takes a lot of strength and a lot of courage. I just want to be normal, <laughs> boring. I just want to be boring. I don't know how to tell you this. You are not normal, Sophia. Thanks. Which <laughs> is the most beautiful compliment I could give anyone, just that. so we're clear. Trying to be less of a novelty. Um, well, I, I tip my hat off to you, you. for your moonshot and for being here and for kicking off main stage with everybody in this room. It's a pleasure. For being educated on Canadian bacon, which here we just call bacon. I ate some. You ate some. She likes it. Um, so thank you so, so much. Thank you all so much for listening. Let's give a big round of applause to Ms. Yeah. Up next is Rebecca Glashow. Rebecca's the co-head of Awesomeness TV, a YouTube channel that grew to a media production company and network, now under Viacom. Rebecca discusses how social media allows viewers to connect better with digital brands and how those brands can engage better with their viewers. She's interviewed by ET Canada host and reporter, Carlos Bustamante. I know a lot of people might be uh, familiar with the work of Awesomeness, but I'd like you to, to introduce Awesomeness. Let mm -hmm. us know what it is, what you guys do. Absolutely. So Awesomeness is an entertainment brand targeted at Gen Z, primarily girls. We create digital uh, short-form content for social platforms, and we have a TV and film studio. And we partner with brands to help reach that audience. You said primarily girls, but who are the Gen Z audience? What do they look for? So it's, you know, there's been so much talk in the marketplace for years about millennials and, and I think a big focus. And meanwhile, this giant population has emerged. They are born really after 1995. And I think what's so transformative about Gen Z is they were really born with the internet. So they've never experienced life without it. Um, connectivity, two-way interactions, uh, social media, on-demand content, this is all the only thing they've ever known. It's also a very diverse population. Um, it's over, I think, 49% of this population considers themselves multicultural. It's also very influential in the marketplace. They influence over 97%, and this is U.S., um, in the household purchase. They are informed, they have access to information, and they use that, and they use that certainly to influence what, what their parents um, or what their family may buy. Um, they're just, they consume media in a way that um, has never been seen before. And so about seven years ago when we started this company, we took a look at how you know, this audience and de demographic was really consuming content different. I think many people thought they would never watch TV and watch content in the way that we all grew up doing mm -hmm. because they were spending all their time on YouTube and we've really seen that that's not the case at all. They just need to be served an experience in a completely different way, and that's what we've sort of dedicated ourselves to doing over the past seven years. Right, so let's talk a bit about that, the way that you have served this audience. How does awesomeness speak 
to Gen Z. You know, you had just said there was a fear that they weren't going to be watching TV. Well, a TV is a, is a thing, yeah. right? That they can watch things on. So yeah. how have you been serving them? You know, so we started as a YouTube channel. That's still a huge part of what we do. But the premise was, you know, yes, a lot of people might be coming there at the time for cat videos, but they're really spending so much time on this platform. What if you were to build a content network or an experience, what was once MTV and which we now proudly work of, what does that network look like today? So we produce docu-series, lifestyle content, um, and in all sorts of formats and really started to build a relationship with this audience and a trust mm. and to understand you know, the content that connects with them, the talent that means something. And we took a lot of that expertise and learning and really started producing traditional film and television, but for directly to streaming platforms. And at the time, you know, Netflix obviously was building, and but the cable TV market, especially in the US, was the primary place people were experienced. And this audience was sort of abandoned there. And we saw this massive white space of, you know, no one's really producing TV and film that represents this specific demographic mm. in um, the, how they see themselves, stories that matter, and the challenges that they're facing that are so different sort of post 9-11, uh, um, and incredibly you know, difficult times um, that were, were talked about a little bit earlier on the panels. <laughs> right. So you know, it's just, it's really authentically talking to them. And so we started producing film and television, and, um, and it's been quite successful. So how did the experience uh, speaking to and interacting with one-to-one -one with that audience on YouTube in the beginning of Awesomeness mm -hmm. inform and form what Awesomeness is now? I think it taught us you know, that authenticity and sincerity is sort of critical piece of connecting with this demographic. They have a huge bullshit detector, mm -hmm. right? They know how to access information. They ask questions. And the instant and interactive experience is so um, innate to them. So in creating something on YouTube, for example, you know, we know when they're not interested in watching anymore. We know if there's a character that they really connect with and then we can help develop a storyline or stories around her. Um, we know when, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we have a show called My Dream Quinceanera um, and we had had another um, series that just sort of had a moment um, about the quinceanera and it just really popped and we thought, well, what if we develop a show around that sort of coming of age in girls' lives? Mm -hmm. And so we are really able to develop material, see trends. And then the other thing is connect back. I mean, we, we read all our comments. We write back to all of our fans. Um, and the experience in sort of developing content and building a trust with the audience, I think, has been critical in sort of in building the brand for us. Mm -hmm. uh, it's far from a secret now that the internet and social media has sort of democratized the idea of what it means to be a celebrity or how we build a celebrity, let's say. So it used yeah. to be this idea of the gatekeepers in Hollywood picking someone Absolutely. and putting them out there. Now, you know, we've seen example after example of someone starting off in their bedroom yeah. and becoming world famous, right? Yeah. So given that and, and wanting to leverage that and maybe work with that talent, what are the upsides of that sort of democratization of celebrity, and are there any downsides or challenges? Well, I think it works both ways. So let's, let's go back to Noah because, mm -hmm. you know, he's a cute boy and it's, you know, fun to talk about him. But Noah Centenaire <laughs> stars in To All the Boys I Loved Before. He was an actor. Mm -hmm. He was in, you know, The Fosters. He was in a series that we did called Tag, but 
you know, small, not very well known, very little social following, but as all young talent has now some level of social following. Um, and we developed this movie and cast him, and it just was lightning in a bottle to all the boys, you know, really connected. And it, I think what was most transformative is what it did for Noah, but in a, in a, in a way that sort of, you know, it was so clear that he was connecting with this audience because he went from half a million subscribers, you know, um, on Instagram to like 16 million in a matter of a month. And it was really the audience that made it clear that, you know, who, not just who the star was, Lana Condor also became quite a big star, but that they connected with this audience. I mean, sorry, they connected with this talent. Mm -hmm. And the audience really was like, it was the ability for them to, to transform this young man from sort of an unknown actor to a superstar overnight. And, you know, I think for everyone else who's now cast him into He-Man and Charlie's Angels, mm -hmm. they are aware of this fan base and they are really able to, um, to see what was sort of transformative from a town perspective. I mean, it, if that makes sense, I think this yeah. audience really made him the star, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and from the flip side, you know, I'd say influencers aren't necessarily actors, so I don't want to start combining. Yeah. I think influencers are people, they could be connecting with the audience because of their personal stories they want to tell, because they're inspiring them, because they're teaching them, um, because they're connecting with an experience. And, and a lot of times, successful influencers, to me, it's, it's the rawness of it, and it has nothing to do with sort of acting or creating or telling a story. Yeah. However, um, audiences follow influencers, you know, to the moon and back. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes there are influencers who really want to be actors or are charismatic. And I think we've been very successful at leveraging them. And so another clip you might have seen is a show called... Um, Light as a Feather, which is on Hulu, and it stars very traditional young actresses who also have social followings, but also a gentleman named Brent Rivera, who we do, he has 10 million followers, he's very charismatic, he creates very silly videos on YouTube, but um, he wants to be an actor. And yeah. by being able to cast young talent like that in our shows, it ends up for us being a way to really activate and leverage his audience right. and his fan base when we're marketing and delivering those shows. So we've mostly seen positive. I think the risk, to answer your question, is you know, they're real people and their lives are on the internet and real people make mistakes and say the wrong thing and um, you've taken that wall down and um, I guess there's some risk in, in authenticity and sincerity. Yeah, have you found that there was a challenge for, let's say, an influencer who's known for being authentic and being themselves uh, when they make the jump to successfully, say, perform yeah. in one of your productions? Have they faced any challenges in terms of maybe their audience reacting to what they've become, what they're doing, what their goals are? I think are? it can be confusing, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think, I think, you know, oftentimes it depends. I mean, that's why I said not all influencers, you can't take an influencer who, who's not an aspiring or doesn't have talent to make them an actor, <laughs> right. unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do think, um, you know, we do very traditional TV and film, and it's produced, and they're not seeing their, their, the Brent anymore, they're seeing a character. Yeah. But I think for the most, most part, you know, people understand that and let sort of suspend reality. Yeah. How important is that social following? It's, it's, it's a huge, it's a visible metric, right? But when you want to cast for a film, 
let's say no one knew Noah, mm -hmm. but he just had that thing, right? Or he was very good at it. But someone, you know, you might know some other YouTuber and they might have millions of followers. How do you cast, how do you make decisions and how much does that social media influence weigh in on your decisions? We always start with who's the best. Are we on? We always start with the best person for the role. Mm -hmm. um, and we primarily cast actors. Yeah. I think it is, to me, the question is, how do we market to an audience that is on YouTube and is on Snapchat and is on TikTok and is on Netflix and maybe you know once in a while you know, watching something on TV? They're everywhere. And how do you break through? And how do you connect with them? And mm -hmm. so I put it through that lens, which is we've tried to make the best shows that to all the boys worked because it was a great book and because Lana Condor was amazing and the chemistry was great and Noah broke out. But it, it, it really was about the material um, that made that successful. But the ability to activate and announce that was a streaming first movie. And to be honest, there was no big push by Netflix when that launched. Nobody knew what it would be. Mm -hmm. um, but the marketing that we do, I would say, is very unusual. We only do social marketing and we only push through social platforms because word of mouth um, is really what connects with this audience. It's not as much as we love a giant billboard in Times Square, that's not gonna make anyone go see a movie or go see a show or click. And so marketing it and creating content around it and using influencers um, and their uh, um, audience is all part of the puzzle that we sort of put together to drive and market. But you can't take an influencer, put them in a show, and think they're all gonna show up for it, and you shouldn't do that. Right. You know? It's really about thinking through um, when you're making it, and if you do have somebody who has social following, how do you leverage their audiences? And they could be tiny, and they could be giant, but how do you work with them in a bespoke manner? Someone who always does silly prank videos, like Brent Rivera, isn't then gonna post a trailer, because nobody goes to him to watch a trailer, and in fact, they're gonna be you know, offended by that experience because that's right. not what, so if you're gonna do something to promote it with Brent, you're gonna have to create um, original content that's, that's in the manner of which he does and the way he speaks with his audience. Yeah. Otherwise, back to the sincerity part, people will call bullshit and they're not gonna watch it and they're gonna say they're just shoving this show down my throat. Mm -hmm. So having all that knowledge of, uh, let's say with Brent, like how he interacts with his audience um, and how awesomeness has interacted one-to-one -one with their audience over the years, how much of what they say, what the audience says in comments or messages or whatnot, um, influences your decisions in terms of programming or who goes on a show or a movie? We have a very traditional studio and it, the development process is very traditional. Yeah. However, you know, talent discovery, whether it be in front of the camera, behind the camera, um, has been to an extent democratized and your ability to discover younger talent or unproven talent um, is possible on these platforms. Mm. I mean, our Let is a Feather was a, um, uh, was a digital book. So you can find talent and IP on these platforms and certainly track whether something's buzzing, but we do still start with material that we're passionate about. We don't try to employ tricks to get people there, but we, we think we know the audience. We think we know the themes that they care about. We think we know it resonates because we create 15 shows a week for YouTube alone and we post on stories on Instagram every single day and we are watching and seeing 
what bubbles up and what yeah. topics matter to them and what, what trends um, they're following. And it's our job to know this audience. Yeah. So it informs oftentimes when we're thinking about, you know, stories we want to tell, like romance, it may influence, um, you know, categories or themes we want to pursue, but ultimately it starts with a great idea, a great book, and then we sort of, it goes from there. Yeah. There's been this conversation uh, over the past few years about sort of a generational gap in terms of uh, awareness of, say, celebrities. So how, say, how uh, the parents might like Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah. and the kids have no idea who that is. Yep. Or how, you know, the kids all love Lily Singh, and the parents are like, what's up with all the unicorns? Like, yeah. well, what is? There's, there's that big gap, but do you see that gap shortening now? A lot of people are making that bridge. I mean, I just see the wall coming down. I mean, I think if you look, and it's not just in, you know, TV and film, you see it in so many different industries. When you have an audience that has an expectation of connecting, um, with talent mm -hmm. in some way, whether it be on Twitter or whether it be on YouTube, but have some two-way connectivity. Even actors, you know, there's a certain expectation um, to be able to have an interaction there. And I think it's getting harder and harder, I think, for to put these people in completely different buckets, meaning to put talent in where this is just someone who's cast in this movie, and you'll never know anything about them, and these are influencers. You know, as people start to expect more um, interactivity with their experiences, mm -hmm. I, it's very hard to, I think, not expect traditional actors or celebrities to, to start to create um, and interact, and, and you've seen that happen, yeah. I mean. But ultimately, I think the walls come down a little bit because the expectation of this gigantic population is coming into the marketplace and is just not known any other way. It's, yeah. it's just... So let's talk about um, how powerful this group is, this Gen Z group. What kind, yeah. of, um, what kind of power they have in the household? You know, we, so we've been talking about the TV and film studio, mm -hmm. which is, you know, kind of big flashy part of what we do. YouTube is actually you know, something we've been doing for seven years and creating sort of this dedicated brand um, has been successful as marketers have now wanted to reach this audience. You saw my colleague Christian Kurtz talk earlier about this demographic and what they care about um, and how they activate. And you now see a lot of brands really wanting to find a way to connect with this audience and that's sort of the other house side of our business. Um, and, you know, Building that, those shows on YouTube and building that audience on YouTube um, has been critical to allow brands to find a very genuine way to connect with this audience. What we've found is even if they don't have money to transact, they're influencing those decisions. And one of the most obvious examples that we always bring about is we, Royal Caribbean was like, cruises aren't cool, nobody wants to go on cruises anymore, and it's because the teenagers in the home, that's not what they want to do. How can we partner with you to sort of you know, change the perception in the marketplace. And we created this original series that was, to this day, the number one show um, that we had ever done on YouTube, paid or not, um, called Royal Crush, that um, was incredibly successful and really changed um, for Royal Caribbean sort of the perception of, of the cruises in the marketplace. And they've saw tremendous success after, after that show. And I'd say, 
It's how do you this audience is very open to transact and You're to right. being influenced if you are straightforward with them. But it's connecting with them through content and in a way that they can experience. Um, and unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, a lot of that is through storytelling and through YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I think for us, you know, we've just seen that um, as brands sort of stop worrying about the millennials and start paying attention to this audience, they've seen how critical, it's not just YouTubers are influential. It's mm -hmm. real girls, real boys, who, everybody in their community can be an influencer ultimately because of the way that they uh, connect with their friends. And in your community, you know, a small business connects with small talent, you know, the real person in that community, it can spread in a way um, that no amount of, you know, paid advertising can. Yeah. So I think it's just, it's, it's, it's the impact of social connectivity yeah. um, and the influencer, you know, the, sort of in your community to the, you know, to, to Lily Singh right. um, has just changed the marketplace. So for a brand that wants to connect with that audience, with the youth audience, is the bottom line really, you know, be authentic about your message or as authentic as you can be about your message? You know, we work often with a brand, Invisalign. They've been like a long-term partner. We go to VidCon every year. We do all sorts of experiential with them. And what we've learned with them is ultimately, you know, only work with influencers who are actually using your product. Mm -hmm. Because then they're going to talk about your product um, and they're going to wear your product and their fans will trust that message. It is really hard to work with this audience um, and, and, and not have it be real. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, so I think it's, I think if you're not sincere, the expectation um, and their ability to go elsewhere is, is too great. So yeah. certainly that's the lesson we've learned. Um, they have too many options. It's too easy for them. And, you know, <laughs> it's not like when we grew up where, like, your parents told you that and there's just, like, unless you're going to pick up the encyclopedia that hadn't been reprinted in 15 years, yeah. you just had no way, like, your gum's going to never come out of you if you swallow it. Nope, your gum's never coming out of you if you swallow it. That's bullshit. I just learned that. Yeah. But, you know, how would I have known? <laughs> That's what my parents told me. But it's at their fingertips. Everything is. Exactly. Right? So it's just, it's the amount of control they have over their lives. Um, and for us, you know, it's, it's, we know they have a million choices. And, yeah. you know, I think um, all you need to know is that, you know, just try to be, try to reflect their lives and tell the stories um, in the most, I would say, raw and true way possible. Yeah. And, and that will connect if it's really representing um, the lives of this demographic. As far as the future of like, a star, a celebrity star system, what do you see being the normal? Um, that's a, I mean, I think, what is a star anymore? I mean, I think mm -hmm. that's, you know, we were talking backstage, like, you know, it's not a group of people in a room deciding who a celebrity is or we're going to make this person a star. I mean, that will continue to exist as long as you have major blockbusters making billions of dollars. But I think it's, it's, it's become more niche, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, who is a star is someone who talks to me about what I'm passionate about or, you know, what you care about. And I think what, but 
the influencer has done is allow way more personalization of that experience. Yeah, there might be certain talent that connects with everybody um, because it had to, because that was all that was on TV and movies, but now there's talent and people that are gonna connect to every bit of your you know, individuality in a way that people never had before. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, and that, can, and the person will be a star to that audience, you know, to whoever's consuming it. And so I think the idea that sort of one person or one celebrity inspires all of us, of course, happens, you know, and then, you know, but, and there's, they're very few and they're aspirational, mm. um, and that will always continue. But I think what it has really done is allow us to create our own stars and our own relationships with talent that's way more way more personalized and way more reflective of, um, of the individual versus you know, how we might have all grown up. And uh, now one of the big themes here at Elevate is, is the moonshot, is mm -hmm. the big goal. Mm -hmm. So what's your moonshot goal for, Ele for awesomeness? Um, that's a good <laughs> one, I should say, that my kids think it's cool when they are old enough now. Um, <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, I think for us, it, I, I, having come from um, cable television I, and working at Viacom, it's building a brand that will have a lasting relationship in people's lives. Like the, the brands um, and the IP that I grew up with, like, is, you know, will always be a part of my coming of age. Yeah. And we're talking to kids at such an important time in their life. And to be a brand and create IP that gets them through the shit and through the hard times mm. and is like impactful in a period of their life where they needed that and we were there for them um, with some emotion or some show or some talent that made it better, you know, is an incredible impact to have. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's our time. Thank you guys for Thank attending. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Um, and I appreciate your liberal use of the term bullshit. I yeah. really, really love that. Thanks well, so much. It's the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to episode eight of the Elevate Talks podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play so that you can catch a new episode every Monday. And if you like what you've heard, leave us a five-star review. We're so appreciative of the people who take the time to let us know what they think. To find out more about Elevate, visit elevate.ca and make sure you pre-register for this year's festival from September 21st to 24th to see some amazing speakers in person and join the party in Toronto.